Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Collider Ladies Night. I'm very excited to talk Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, and more with Jessica Williams. Hello. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm very pumped to talk about that movie because your character is a delight and kicks all the ass. And thank you. You see, you saw it. I did see it. Awesome. I did see oh, it. I am job. extremely impressed. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. She does kick. She does kick a lot of ass. In this. Yes. You can say ass on the show. It's okay. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. So she said ass. So I'm going to say ass and booty and Please do. Um, shit and caca. Go crazy. At all. <laughs> All right. First order of business on ladies night is usually we play a game called dicey questions and I have a dice tower behind me. The dice tower did not make the trip from Los Angeles. So you will be picking your own numbers today. I've got eight questions. You pick three random numbers and whatever questions you get, that's where we start. First number up, what you got? Seven. I love that number. Number seven is movie and TV skills. If you could learn a new skill or about a different profession through a role, what would you pick and why? Detective work for sure. Uh, I I was thinking sometimes before bed, I do these really random like Wikipedia deep dives on certain things that I'm just like, I should use this in a productive manner. Uh, and I think it'd be really cool to find out how to be a detective. Are you a big puzzle person? Yep. Love puzzles, love video games. Uh, I like um, the challenge. I'm really competitive. I'm a poor loser and a poor winner. Uh, I talk a lot of shit. Um, And I'm just curious about the psychology of people, the way people work. I like criminal psychology too. Uh, I think it's fascinating. I got in this deep hole during the pandemic of like watching videos of um, police interrogations and just people who were guilty acting like they weren't guilty over the course of like maybe let's say an hour and a half analysis of, you know, a police interrogation. And I just find it fascinating to watch people just lie. It's like so interesting. So I do think it would be really cool to get paid to study that and learn learn and research how to be a detective or like a criminal psychologist. I can't wait to see you do this just because it's fresh on my mind. You have to watch the thing about Pam. It is so disturbing and so fascinating. something else with the thing about Pam I was like do I just jump into the tv version of it or do I do do I start with wikipedia or do I look at true crime podcasts then watch the made for tv version you know what I mean like I'm trying to figure out the best way in because I know it's one hell of a story and I don't want to get any spoilers like I'm really particular it's like when I get a Reese's cup I open up the wrapper and then I eat all the edges of the Reese's cup. And then I save that middle part. Cause I just want all the peanut butter and all the chocolate on both sides. And that's how I am about like spoilers and learning about a particular case or something. I mean, all of this detective work stuff makes sense, but I feel like the peanut butter conversation is why we are coming together for this episode <laughs> of ladies night. Cause I thought I was the only person who does that. Okay. So you're, you, you, I was going to literally my brain threw out the phrase rim job and I was going to say, so you also give it a good rim job. I mean, have the middle. peanut butter is the priority. It's like when I say <laughs> I eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it is legit just peanut butter on bread. Absolutely. Oh man. I, my mom growing up, she's allergic to, to peanut butter. So I got accustomed to also just having jelly sandwiches, just pure jelly. And then you just take, she would take one slice of bread 
and fold it in half. So it wasn't like two slices. And she's not like the most domestic cooker. She's a very like, um, she's like a career woman to the same job she uh, got like her master's degree. She likes higher education, but like cooking did not come a second nature to her. But lately I've just been thinking about her jelly sandwiches and how funny it is that you're just putting like jelly on some home pride bread and then folding it in half and how weird even the shape of one slice of bread folded in half is. I could have this conversation for our entire interview, but you got a lot of cool titles we gotta get to. All right, you have two more numbers. What is your second number? Three. (laughs) Number three is never again. What is something that you did for a role that now makes you think, I'm really glad I tried that, but never again. I will not be doing that again. Uh, For a role, oh my gosh, one time I was in this like acting class and I was like pretty new. I think I was in my, I was like, 20 and I got a a scene partner for this scene that was just really method and he was just like he was really good but really method and for our rehearsal I think the scene took place outside of a liquor store he was like let's go to an actual liquor store and work on the scene and I was like okay and I just remember it just being a problem and being like why didn't we just rehearse this inside of like a room. Uh, And I thought, I just kind of went along with it and had an extremely weird time for three hours. And I thought, I want to have more agency and make sure that I have a say and I'm fully comfortable in the way that I rehearse and in the way that I do my job. And so at that point, I learned my lesson and I was like, uncomfortable for what? Like, but that might just be a thing because now I'm just like in my 30s and I like want to be uncomfortable less And I feel like now I just, I want to like, just kind of take a nap and relax and not feel bad in my day to day. So I just do less shit that I don't want to do, you know? Takes you time to learn that kind of stuff. But I feel like that thinking should apply at any age. That sounds like your twenties. Like if it sounds like definitely like your early twenties is just like doing a lot of compromises, not saying like, I will not do this, especially in in acting. I was just like, wow, never again. I'm not going to do that. That is a good never again right there. All right, you have one more number left. Okay, uh, one. Number, oh, I'm happy we landed on this because I love me some would you rather questions. Great, me too. Would you rather have to fake wake up in a scene or fake drive in a scene? That's hysterical. Um, I've done both. Mm. There's a funny thing, like sometimes with fake waking up, there is that moment, moment before of sleeping. And I think- The key to acting like you're sleeping is just sort of closing your eyes and then having your eyes go in one direction. Because if you don't, like, you know, when kids are sleeping and their eyes, they're fake sleeping and their eyes are just like fluttering. You, I've definitely gotten in a loop while shooting where my eyes have just been literally fluttering. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't even like fake sleep. So I think, what was the other one? Fake what? Fake drive. I think I'd rather fake drive, but I have gotten a note where I filmed a driving scene. And I think at some point, because you're always usually talking, talking like this. And I was doing that and the director came in and was like, okay, so for this driving scene, let's try not to just kind of move the wheel like this. And I was like, oh shit, you mean acting. You want me to be acting and not swerving this wheel left and right, you know? Um, So I think fake driving, because sometimes you can really get in your head. Or also you can like, it's hard to not smile too when you're you're kind of trying to wake up. 
in the secrets of Dumbledore, there's this scene where we go into Hogsmeade, which is like just this legendary sort of place in the, in the wizarding world. And uh, we, we walk in from the snow. And so the actors that I was with, we were supposed to be cold. And I remember after we got the note that we were supposed to be cold because it was completely snowy outside, we all became self-conscious about cold acting and acting like we were sleeping. So when I watched that scene back, everybody was definitely just like, <sighs> like, you know, like we were really kind of overselling it. So I think we had to get the note again to like tone down acting like, you know, we were being cold, but everyone was like, oh, like it was just too much. I'm definitely keeping that and adding that to another <laughs> would you rather in the future. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> Like acting like you're cold or acting like you're hot is also one of those things that almost like saying your name too many times. Oh God, I've, like, I've done that too. And then yeah. the name doesn't feel real anymore. Yeah. Who am I? What am I doing? All right, let's get into the meat of it now. I always start here with everyone. What is the the movie, the performance, the personal experience, you name it, that first made you say, I have to be an actor? Uh, the movie, performance, personal experience. Um, I was really into pop stars growing up. I really was obsessed with like Aaliyah and Destiny's Child and uh, Britney Spears um and i liked like all that a lot so i would always watch um the you know like the og cast and i liked nickelodeon and i would watch the show called like the mystery files of shelby woo i would watch um this disney like i would watch a lot of disney shows like this show called so weird which was about this young preteen um discovering the paranormal uh and putting herself in like these paranormal situations and so I was always drawn to an in film and television like mystery. And I really like the paranormal and I like spooky shit. And I like kind of trying to figure out what's underneath things that that drives me. And then as a girl, I was really bookish and I read a lot and I was really introverted and I had, you know, just big glasses and kind of kept to myself and books really took me away. And I, I just I really loved stories. And Another thing that helped kind of form my my worldview as far as performing was I, I had this grandma who's who's no, no longer with us, who was really into comedy. So when I would spin, I'm, I'm from LA, and when I would go over to my grandma's house every weekend, um, we would watch Saturday Night Live a lot. And she liked Mad TV and she loved South Park. She liked The Simpsons, The Critic. She loved Conan. Like she had a really good sense of humor. Um, and I think there are two types of grandmas, right? I think there's like a milk and cookies, I'm gonna knit you a sweater grandma. And then there's the drinking, swearing, I just wanna go to, you know, fucking Reno and play the slot machines kind of grandmas. And mine was the latter. And I think she just had this bodiness about her that, and she was, she was really strong. And I think I really wanted to emulate that. I remember always thinking she was just really cool. She swore a lot. Uh, she had, you know, kind of lived really hard and um, she so much so that she just watched TV all day, especially towards the end of her life because she wasn't well, even though she had a great sense of humor. And um, I remember TV and movies were a way for her to escape. And that was a way for she and I to connect. And so uh, to me, television was always a really valid medium. It wasn't like, it was always really like a respectable medium because it mattered so much to her. And I had really great parents who also saw 
it as a valid medium. They were never like, you can't perform, you have to be a doctor, which is totally fine uh, if that's what you want to do. But they were always like, yeah, if you want to be an actor, you can always be an actor. They let me believe that I could do anything. And so I just really wanted to tell really compelling stories about really strong women. And I really wanted to do um, comedy. And I just really watched a lot of comedy with her. I wouldn't necessarily say um, that I'm a comedian. I'm definitely more of an actor, but I do feel like I have certain comedic things that I like. I definitely feel like I can perform live and I do enjoy performing live. Um, I like just talking to people and interviewing people. And I and and lastly, I also think I just find people interesting. Um, I am more of an introverted person, believe it or not, but I think I'm really interested in the way that people work. And I think people always have a reason for being the way they are, whether it was surviving childhood trauma or just finding delight in, you know, the, the color of the sky. Uh, just things like that are, are really nuanced. And I think everyone, everyone can be really interesting when you think about it. And so stories are about people and ideas and choosing you know, to do the right or wrong thing and making choices. And I, I really think that they're like what bonds us and connects us. And to me, that's like, I'm honored to be able to do that and be a part of something like that. So those are all those reasons. But I think when I, when I think about my brain, because I think in circles a lot, I think that those are the things that kind of put together. Those, that's the palette I paint with, I think. Those are some of the colors. That's yeah. such a beautiful answer. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Halfway I through, like I was like, damn, bitch, this is long. And then I just didn't stop. The train just kept going. I'm happy you did it. Honestly, <laughs> that answer makes me feel like you're the perfect guest for a show like Ladies Night, because other than celebrating love of, of peanut butter and one piece of bread sandwiches, the show yeah. is all about digging into what makes an artist the artist that they've become over time and why storytelling in these mediums are important to them. Yeah. Totally. I love it's, it. It's really, it's just the best. I, and it's great. Cause even in this movie, I work with some, I get to work with some really amazing actors. So there's like Jude Law, Dan Fogler, Alison Sudol, um, Eddie Redmayne, um, Mads Mikkelsen, um, Victoria Yates. I, I worked with these really English actors because this is actually a really English film, Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts and the Wizarding World is is incredibly, incredibly English. And I didn't realize it until I got here and shot this movie and um, they just act differently. And so it was really nice to watch and, and, and learn and observe how they work um, and, and what it's like to, to kind of work with Oscar award-winning uh, actors. It was really cool and different. Oh, I have questions about working with that ensemble. Yeah backtracking a little here. So I was reading that you were in the drama program in high school. When yes. you went to college, did you study acting? And then at that point, what would you say was the key to bridging the gap between studying acting and getting your first professional gigs? Yeah, I got I got my, my first professional gig actually when I was 15. Um, I did this Nickelodeon show that was uh, executive produced by Whoopi Goldberg called Just For Kicks that I don't want anyone to look up because I will find you and get you. Um, and I did that, and I did I did one season of that. It was like a soccer show about four girls that that play soccer that are all you know have these different personalities. And um, I, I I got my taste of acting with that. I remember we shot on the Universal Studios back lot, which was a really big deal. 
I remember like the Desperate Housewives set was there and War of the Worlds and uh, I think the Steven Spielberg version and there was the tram ride. And so the tram ride would, would go by in between takes. And that was a really kind of formidable experience, figuring out what it's like to go to set, what it's like to be a family, um, what it's like to kind of figure out and, and get comfortable with a camera. And then um, after that got canceled, I uh, went back to high school and auditioned for my school's improv team. And so throughout high school and college, um, growing up in LA, I did improv a lot. I went to Cal State Long Beach. I joined Upright Citizens Brigade um, and, and did sketch there and was just sort of performing, performing, performing. And uh, once I was auditioning for this amazing casting director called Allison Jones, and she's casted just many, many, many amazing projects and really funny things. And she was like, you're not quite right for this particular movie that I was auditioning for, but they are casting um, The Daily Show in New York. And I think you should come back and put yourself on tape to be a correspondent. And I, was, I think I was 21, 22 at the time. And I thought, okay, like, you know, anything you want. I, I think you're amazing. And so I went back and I did two different um, setups. I think I did something that Asif Mambi, um, a former correspondent of the show, had done. And, and then I think I did a John Oliver bit. Um, and I just remember thinking, I'm not going to look up Stephen Colbert or Samantha Bee or any of the previous correspondents. I'm going to try and be the most myself that I could be. I'm a, I'm a 22 year old, six foot tall black girl. I have to do it from, from that perspective. And so uh, I remember going, putting it down on tape with, Al with Allison. She liked it. I think she sent it off to New York and I got a call like a week later. I remember I was in the cafeteria at Cal State Long Beach and there was a Panda Express there and I would always get the orange chicken uh, and I think the the beef and broccoli. <laughs> and I remember sitting with one of my best friends and just eating and, and my manager at the time called me and was like, are you sitting down? And I was like, yeah, and I'm grubbing. And she was just like, okay, The Daily Show saw your tape. They want to fly you out to New York to audition in person with Jon Stewart, like in the next few days. And I was like, holy shit, I have finals, but I will absolutely be there. And uh, my mom and I went to TJ Maxx. I remember getting this, I think like Liz Claiborne suit. I had green hair at the time and uh, I flew out to New York um, and it was the most surreal experience. I didn't know anything about New York. I, I wound up, you know, living in New York for 10 years. But at the time I remember being 22 and walking through Hell's Kitchen, which is really windy where the Daily Show studio is and being cold and, and just unsure. Like, you know, that scene in Big when Tom Hanks, you know, is big the first night and he's just like curled up in a fetal position hearing all the, all the sounds of the city. And I, I remember being so intimidated. And I, 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 I went into the studio. They had me go in the Daily Show set. It looked amazing. They were like, okay, we're gonna have you practice. And then Jon Stewart's gonna come down and you're gonna run it with him. And I said, okay. And I remember running my lines and my hands were shaking. And I just ran it twice. And they were like, okay, John's ready to come down. And I heard people on their walkies and they're like, John's coming down, John's coming down. And I remember my heart beating really fast. And all of a sudden I hear someone who's just singing, like going, la dee da dee da. And I turn around and it's John Stewart. And, you know, he just walks up to me. He's like, hi, I'm John. And I go, I'm Jessica. He's like, it's nice to meet you. And he's like, I already seen your tape. I already think you're amazing. All you have to do is just do that with me and focus on being present. And I said, okay, I don't remember much of that audition at all. I think I just like blacked out. Um, and uh, cut to, you know, I got hired maybe like two days later and 
that changed my life. I absolutely ditched school. Shout out to Kelsey and Long Beach. Thank you so much. Uh, I absolutely left school, packed up everything, moved to the West Village and started working on The Daily Show. And, you know, ever since I started doing that job, that that job changed my life. And Jon Stewart really changed my life and it completely changed the trajectory um, of my career in every way. So that is one of the most incredible experiences out there. But when it when it came your way, I'm curious because it seems like at the very start, you know, like, you know how when you kind of like picture what the dream is, it can yeah. be difficult to maybe deviate and reshape that. So when an opportunity like that comes your way, is it a no brainer? I have to do it. I have to pursue that path. Or is there any little bit of you that has some hesitation because it would kind of steer you away from at least the traditional acting career Absolutely. path? Absolutely. Yeah. I was really actually intimidated and I wasn't, I wasn't sure about it, but I knew it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. I, I love LA. Um, I'm from there. It's it's my heart. I'm from this area called the South Bay. Um, and I love my friends there. And I'd always, I really value my friendships and my family. And I think the hardest part about acting and getting jobs, at least for me, is being away from my friends and family. And um, I have a really strong foundation there. And that's a huge value of mine. And so I kind of just was really scared because I didn't want to miss out on anything with my friends and family that I had back home. And I had always imagined myself, you know, living by the by the water. And I guess in New York you do, but it's a lot different. Um, and I really feel like <clears throat> LA is 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 in my core. And so it was really actually one of the most difficult things I did was was pack up and leave um, for that opportunity. And for a while I was flying back and forth and had to just kind of mourn the loss of, um, you know, starting a new life and moving. But I knew that it was something that I wasn't going to pass up because, um, you know, uh, it was just someone decided that they wanted to work with me. And and what I love about John and, and one of his great qualities that he has is he was able to see my raw talent. Um, even when I look at a lot of my earlier stuff on the show, I go, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was reading like that. You know, a lot of things have changed and developed now that I'm 32 years old. But what I appreciate and love is that there was, that he was willing and able to hire someone that was really new and allowed me to learn a lot of lessons on set. And also that was another situation where I was allowed to to learn um, and watch a kind boss that was a really just good and smart boss. And I think, you know, The Daily Show, um, especially around that time that I was there, had a really firm no asshole policy. And uh, it was really cool to watch someone working at the highest level, creating a new show um, four times, you know, four times a week and still just be a lovely boss. And it made me think that when I'm a boss, um, I always wanted to be really kind and he was just a great model for that. And I always wanted to make sure people were taken care of and they feel seen and loved and not really not disrespected. Um, and so he showed me what it was like to be a, a really good boss. And I'm always grateful for that. Makes me happy to hear now that I'm 32. That. I've learned a lot of lessons on every set that I've been on. And I feel really lucky to have experienced the things that I have. I've had good jobs and I've had bad jobs and um, you know, I've been successful in some things and I've been fired in others. And every time that's happened, I've learned something. Yeah. And, and, and so I was at that job for 
maybe seven or eight years. I'm trying to remember. I, I don't remember anymore, but I was at that job maybe five years, maybe six years. Um, and I just learned so much. I got to be in my twenties there and I got to be in my twenties in New York, which was not, I was not expecting that, but New York in and of itself taught me so much. It's such a, um, beautiful, wonderful, and fucked up city <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's just hard to live in a good way. I learned to stand up for myself. I learned a lot about bullshit. I learned a lot about, um, you know, being a strong woman and standing in my own authority in New York. And and there's no place like it. It's really like a, a beautiful city. I'm, I'm a lot more direct now in a way that I don't know if I would have gotten that as much if I had just stayed in LA in my 20s. I think I needed it. I think, I think I learned a lot about what I'm capable of and I know how to stand on my own two feet. I know how to travel. Um, I, I know, I think a little more about how not to get scammed in person. Like there's a lot of opportunities to be taken advantage of in New York. And I think um, it just taught me how to be a strong woman in the best way. And I, I love New York as much as I love LA. And I never thought that I would be that kind of person, but I'm, I'm completely split just got attitude and I have attitude. So that's really nice. <laughs> Before we jump into Fantastic Beast, just to follow up on something you just said, because I feel like it could be helpful for anybody else out there going through a similar experience to hear yeah. what you learned or how you approached it. So you have this great experience on The Daily Show, but with some of those other more difficult experiences where maybe the, the highest on the food chain was not the leader that that individual needed to be, what can you do to either make sure you know, you're feeling safe and delivering your best work and making the most of the experience, or maybe what can you do to even change that kind of environment? Absolutely. You know what's crazy about that, because um, I have had terrible experiences as, as well as really beautiful ones, is sometimes those terrible experiences can be really confusing because it seems like it's coming from someone who, you know, stands for the right things, like on Instagram, you know, maybe they they voted for they would they would be someone to vote for you know a, a certain group that you would agree with they would be someone that seems to stand for diversity and, and equality and so sometimes when you have a shitty experience or get fired from something which i've def which has definitely happened to me it can just be devastating because you just think oh am i it's almost you almost expect to get fired from someone that you disagree with but if you get fired with with someone who ideal whose ideals oftentimes line up with yours, it's really confusing. I would say, you know, it's gonna be disappointing and it's okay to mourn and grieve certain things. And a lot of times there's a season for everything. And I think it does seem like the end of the world when you suffer what, I think that's known as shadow grief, when you lose a job or you didn't get a promotion or, you know, they cast somebody else or they hire somebody else, you know, you're, you're grieving the idea of a dream or you're grieving the loss of an opportunity. And that's totally fine. I think it's really important to acknowledge the loss and acknowledge the sadness that comes with that, but also know that it just wasn't for you and that there's your life is bigger than this, this particular moment, even though it seems like it's not. Um, every time that I've, I've grieved or lost a job or even a person, somebody's passed or something like that, it, it, time happens and time continues. And the worst thing is that you think like, I remember being fired from a job and being like, just for not being the right fit, just for just not being the right fit. And just being like, I cannot believe this happened. I'm devastated. My world is over. 
Um, and it just isn't. And the worst thing is that time continues, but the best thing is also that time continues. And it, it really is sort of the thing that heals all wounds because then you get that introspection. But just know that it's not a reflection of who you are as a person and it doesn't determine your value or your worth. And I'm someone who's very career driven and, and goal oriented. But as I get older, I find that there's wisdom and not allowing your career to define your personality because you are so much more than, you know, what your job is and your wins and your losses. You are someone who has incredible depth and, and uniqueness. And when things are the right fit, they're so much better, like so much better. It took a lot of work to figure out what clothes I was going to wear for this press tour. And I had all these designers in my mind I was working with my stylist of like, oh my God, I want to wear this designer and this designer. And I'd be so sad because they'd send a sample size and I'm not a sample size, I'm not a size six. And I'd be like trying to figure out how to make this dress or this pantsuit work, but it's just not fitting over my ass, you know, just fundamentally. And I'd be so disappointed because I had all these ideas about what you know, all these ideas and fantasies about how this outfit would look from certain designers. And I'd be disappointed trying to make it work, but then I would get something that was in my size from a different designer that I hadn't even heard of. And the, the dress or the pantsuit or the outfit would just fit like a glove and be so much better and be like, oh my gosh, this is what it's like when you're not trying to force it. This is what it's like when it's just made for you and it just fits. You don't have to try and force it. It just is. You know, and I think that's sort of like, I feel like I just took a ton of shrooms because now I'm just talking about how an outfit fits in relation to your question. But I think there's a world where you can always try and force it and make things work. And then there's another world where you get something unexpected and it works way better than you could have even imagined. I'm going to need to replay this to myself every time oh, I have like really a bummer funny. of a moment. It'll I did not take a ton of it. Carrie, before <laughs> I believe it. it does sound like I did. <laughs> All right. Fantastic beast, though. Yes. Can you walk us through the casting process here a little bit? Because you get that cameo appearance in the second film. So at that point, what were the conversations like? Was it like, hey, we want you to like pop in for a brief second, but don't worry, we promise you're going to get a beefier role in the third film. Yeah, I mean, I'd always known that my character was supposed to be, you know, throughout um, the rest of the Fantastic Beast films. And she... My professor is Professor Yalali. I mean, my character is named Professor Yalali Hicks. Um, I only messed up those words because I've said it one million times at this point, but I play this character named Yalali Hicks. She is a charms professor at Ilvermorny, which is the North American Wizarding School. And I knew that in Crimes of Grindelwald, she makes a brief appearance, but then in three, four, and five, um, she's quite formidable and becomes a huge part of the story. And I think I shot the second one like a long time ago. I know we wrapped this movie a year ago. So it's just been a really long process of, of sort of making this movie. The movie took six or seven months to film. We shot in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and I, that, I shot Crimes of Grindelwald in an hour. And this movie took, I mean, just a really long time. And uh, it was really fun. I mean, I... I'm so excited about my character. I think she's really strong and really capable. She's really good at defensive magic and she has some really cool badass sequences in this movie that I'm so excited for everyone to see. Um, I modeled a lot of her wand work after uh, 
Serena and Venus Williams. I, I like that she does this really cool, strong magic. Like she really means it. Um, Yulali is really heart-driven and I think she's really good at seeing at the heart of people. And I think Dumbledore recruits her because he knows that about her. And I think she's somebody you can always depend on to do you know, what's good and what's right. And I think she really shines in this movie in a, in a really great way. It's always nice to see a witch do really cool shit. <laughs> can confirm she really stands out. So one of my favorite qualities about her is, you know, her tenacity and the confidence that she brings to this mission. So I was wondering if you had come up with any backstory information, something to kind of like justify where that's coming from and figure out what the source of that confidence in her is coming from. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, Yulali was born in Harlem um, to a non-magical family, uh, no match or, and, and later as a young girl, she discovered that she had, um, things would start to fly off the walls in the apartment that they were living in. And she was really close with her grandmother and her grandmother told her that back in the day, you know, there were signs that, that they, that they, her great, great, great ancestors could practice magic. And so Lally, of course, gets accepted into overmorning. And she's quite bookish. And I think Lally understands the state of the world in Harlem in the 1930s uh, as, a, as a Black non-magical person and also as a witch because they kind of mirror each other, both worlds. And Lally really threw herself in her studies. She was always very capable and bright. And uh, Dumbledore was older, but I think in her school library at Ilver Morney, she discovered um, the work of Dumbledore. And so she's quite precocious. And she wrote Dumbledore. And Dumbledore wrote her back because she realized she was really bright and they corresponded for a long time. And he's sort of a mentor to her. And Yulali grew up to um, become a charms professor and she wrote a book. And uh, I think because of, um, she values education more than anything. And I think she's a really good teacher at Ilvermorny. Her students really love her. And um, she's really good at seeing, seeing people's hearts. So to me, that speaks of a confident, capable person. And I know I always like to play women like that because those are the women that I know. Um, and I think there was really no room for, for Yulali to be unsure in this film, the way that oftentimes, you know, a lot of women and people of color, uh, you know, they need to be sure to move through different spaces. And I think Lally is a reflection of that, especially in this film. You exude all of that. I feel like in this massive ensemble where everyone's incredible, that is why my eye was often drawn to you, even when it was a big ensemble scene, because of exactly how you just described her there. Thank you so much. I mean it. Speaking of that ensemble, so again, you brought it up earlier. There are so many great people around you. I want to highlight every single one of them, but just mm -hmm. to get it to right now, of everyone in the Fantastic Beasts ensemble, was there anyone whose process aligned with yours the most, where the second you started working together, it was just like seamless. You were in sync. But then on the other hand, is there anyone who had, you know, a different approach that challenged you to adapt and maybe try something new and for the better? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm pretty obsessed with Eddie Redmayne uh, as it stands. He is the nicest, sweetest, loveliest person. I like his heart. I like that he's obsessed with his kids and likes to be home to tuck them in. I love that he loves his wife. I mean, everything about him is just lovely. And I found that, um, you know, as soon as I got on set, he was always really uh, helpful. He's one of those people that when you're in a, a group speaking, 
you know, he says something and then he turns to you and he's just like, so what do you think about that? You know, even if you're the new person, he's always really good about, you know, making sure that you feel included. And so that really helped my process because I was so intimidated. I mean, this is my first studio movie with Warner Brothers and, 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 and doing something that's just really huge. I'm in this really big machine that I'm basically getting inserted into. And I feel like he really helped make that process a lot easier. And um, he's also really energetic in a way, like I don't like waking up in the morning. So it was always really nice to, to have someone who was, who was, who was really, you know, up and ready to go. Um, he reminded me of a golden retriever in a lot of ways. Uh, and um, so he was really easy to work with and really delightful. A lot of my scenes are with him and Dan Fogler, who's just amazing and so talented and so funny. And with Callum Turner, who I also love and just gives me shit all the time in the best way uh, and who I give a lot of shit to. And is, he's also really fun. And uh, the person who's had me think a lot differently was that was my group of people that I shot the film with. I also, I didn't shoot a lot with Mads Mikkelsen and like Allison and, and uh, I got to do a lot of my press with Mads Mikkelsen and he is so funny. He makes me laugh. He's so uh, mischievous and uh, he just keeps me on my toes. So I've really enjoyed doing a huge majority of, of, my press tour and promotion for this movie with Mads, he, he tickles me. He's always got like some joke up his sleeve and he's always, he's a pure Slytherin through and through. And um, it's just been a joy. It's just been really fun. And he's just very kind, but he's always, he's really, really kind, but he's always just like being bad. Like he's always just, he's always got some goof going on. Okay. I, I feel like I would believe that. I've seen Absolutely. I've seen enough of his movies and enough of his interviews to get that that feel from him. Yeah, he's he's just a delight. He's so funny. All right. I'll end with this one here. So you brought it up before. This is like your first like gigantic franchise blockbuster movie. So with the scale of a production like this, is there anything about what it takes to shoot a movie that is this big that you didn't know at the start of production, but you're glad you learn now and can take with you to the next one? Yeah, um, just that. Um, so I was here in London for for six or seven months and I was away from my family um, who's in LA and a lot of my friends. And I realized I had Thanksgiving here Christmas here. I was really worried about that um, being far away for, for many, many months, especially during a pandemic. So I, I couldn't really go back and forth. But I actually learned that my home is with me. My home is in my myself. And, um, you know, there is a scary part that you can't escape yourself wherever you go. But also the really beautiful part is that you can't escape yourself wherever you go. So I played a lot of Zelda Breath of the Wild. That was really cozy. Um, I really fell in love with London, which is now one of my favorite cities. Um, I had a really, really cozy Christmas. I remember walking around the park, um, many, many parks. There's so many beautiful parks here. And and I realized I was my home and that wherever I am, I, I am home. And that just was awesome. And now I think back on the experience and the scariness of being away. And, and, and I just think of it so fondly and warmly. I just... I had an amazing time and that made me feel like I can do anything. Also, I can wake up really early uh, consistently for a long time because I hate that shit. 
And I totally did every single day. I was never late, which is awesome. <laughs> very important skill to have on these. Definitely. This ladies night conversation felt like a very therapeutic one. So thank you for your oh, time and for, for sharing these experiences and like little tidbits about your growth. Because I don't know, I feel like it's already having a positive influence on me. So I'm sure a lot of our viewers are going to feel the same way. Congratulations on Fantastic Beast and hope to have you back on the show sometime Anytime. soon. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you. 